The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, I promise you are in the right place. Today's Buzz Hurry! I didn't say that like a circus sideshow bark or hurry, hurry, hurry. Just hurry! A lot of energy behind that. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. Connecting information and people and assets on devices, on third-generation platforms that support, you know what I'm going to say, social, mobile, cloud, big data, and Internet of Things. What does it do? It's driving insightful business action like we've never seen before. I know I've packed that first opening into it with a lot of information, but let me explain. We're looking at the industry called chemicals today. It's been around for a long, long time. What does this all have to do with chemicals? Well, maybe they can benefit from it. Maybe chemicals can embrace Internet of Things and open new opportunities to do what every industry, every company wants, optimize efficiency, deploy radically new business models to succeed and thrive and compete and be sustainable over the long run. So we're going to focus today on the chemical industry. As a matter of fact, the topic is IoT, Internet of Things, and chemicals. Transform your business models now. Hence the call to hurry. Let me introduce my first panelist, and it will all make sense once they share their wisdom. First up, I'm pleased to welcome David Dunn at Rolta. He is the Vice President of Business Development for the Rolta One View product in the chemical industry. That's why he's here. And David has sent me a quote from Monty Python. Those of you Python fans, this is from The Life of Brian. And you can look it up. I did, but Brian Cohen, Graham, Graham Chapman, you can look it up. Very, very interesting, full of Monty Python signature absurdity. Sounds like an interesting thing to watch. David Dunn's quote is, all right, all right. But apart from better sanitation, the medicine, education, wine, public order, irrigation, roads, a freshwater system, and public health, what have the Romans ever done for us? Well, David Dunn, how are you today? Very good, Bonnie. How are you? I'm fine. I love the quote. It just—it's the old. Uh, isn't that a Janet Jackson song? What have you done for me lately? Is that really exactly. what what we've? That's what we've updated. But by the way, she's got a new tour, and apparently she's she's very cool and very sweet and very adorable and very clean cut, and that remains to be seen. David Dunn, tell me how you came to introduce this quote on a show about chemicals and IoT. Well, great question, and and again, it gets back to your point of. You know, I, I think all of us deal with, on a day-to-day basis, um, just, just dealing with the old adage, what have you done for me lately? So mm-hmm. in context of what we're actually talking about today, you know, mm-hmm. the way we've done business in the past, the old models, the business process models and things, they're going to become obsolete over time. 
So companies are really going to have to continue to innovate and drive new business models to, to stay competitive and keep ahead uh, in the marketplace. And that's going to be, uh, you know, in context, again, of IoT, we're going to have to find new models for production and supply chain. We're going to have to find new models for customer touch points using social media, using new innovative technologies to look at our plants. And, um, you know, it, it's just it, it, there, there's so much data coming at us. We're going to have to be able to uh, adjust that. And really the expectation ultimately is that, our companies expect us to keep contributing and keep innovating. So I think it plays very well into the, what have you done for me lately? Well, we're going to innovate. Interesting. David, before we move on to our next panelist, I have to ask you, does the chemical industry know this? Are they aware? Is this keeping those CIOs, CEOs, CTOs, is it keeping them awake at night? Is this something you and I and our other panelists are talking about, and is it breaking news to chemicals? Are they saying gee, we're really not keeping up with the times. We have to do something new and exciting and transformational. Are they aware, David? I, I think they're aware of the competitive situation. I think many companies that I speak with and talk with aren't sure how to address it. Um, I, I do think, you know, and, and of course, with any, any business in any industry, there's a strata. Some, some are fearful of it, some are embracing it, and you've got everything in between. But in general, I think they're, they're worried about the competitive threat. It does keep them up. How do we innovate? How do we use this data? How do we use these new technologies effectively, but don't necessarily know how to kick it off? Thank you very much, David. That, that's something, a theme we find in a lot of our topics here on Coffee Break with Game Changers. And it's a question I frequently ask my panelists. We're talking about it, but do the people who need to know, are they aware? Are they in on it? Do they understand it? Do they embrace it? And do they have a clue on what to do about it? So thank you very much. Great introduction. And thanks again for the great quote from The Life of Brian. I loved it. Now, second on the panel, we have another David. Doesn't happen too often that we have a name, two of the same first name. This is David Cruikshank. He is a Senior Director of Strategy and Operations for the SAP Co. Innovation Lab. So we've got the word innovation there. Love it. And a very simple quote from David from Sir Isaac Newton. And we've heard this one before. Let's see how it applies. The quote is, standing on the shoulders of giants. David Cruikshank, welcome to Coffee Break. How are you? Thank you very much. I'm well. Talk to me about your quote. Who's, whose shoulders are we standing on? Who's standing on whose shoulders? <laughs> well, you know, Sir Isaac Newton uh, is attributed or often credited with that quote, but it gets traces back to as far as the 12th century. And, you know, its meaning expresses that truth is discovered building on previous discoveries. And, you know, it's been uh, my observation uh, in the conovation game that in an era of cloud and all things digital that, you know, creativity is more and more uh, being born out of true collaboration. So in reality, uh, the giants must also become your creative partners. And uh, they're not just the... Uh, elevating you to the next level, but they're coming with you. And it's a collective effort that uh, is meant to help turn the right ideas into that next big thing. Thank you, David. I, I have a question for you. I probably should have asked David Dunn, but it's not too late. Can we define the chemicals industry? What are we talking about? What's the scope? What types of companies are in this? Are we talking pharma? Is chemi are pharma companies part of chemicals? What, what's the level set here, please? David this Brookshank? is David Dunn. So, oh, David Dunn, uh, in, go ahead. In, yes. my, in my experience, in my past, um, I, I consider, yes, everything from petrochemicals 
through uh, as building blocks through specialty chemicals and suppliers, um, including uh, you know there are definitely components of large uh, consumer products companies that have mm-hmm. chemical arms. Um, and and I always uh, and I have a lot of friends that are chemical engineers that work at pharmaceutical companies. Again, it, it's it's okay. about processing and uh, you know the engineering side of it. Okay, thank you very much. I appreciate that. David Cruikshank, thank you for the good quote and great explanation. And let's add our third panelist to the party here. He is John Harrison, Senior Solutions Specialist with SAP's Industry Business Solution for Chemicals, of course. And John has brought us a quote from Louis V. Gerstner, Jr. Those of you scratching your heads, you may not remember. He's an American businessman best known for his tenure as chairman of the board and CEO of IBM. When? Well, back in the old days, 1993 until 2002. He retired in March 2002 as CEO and as chairman later that year in December 2002. So here's the quote. The Internet is ultimately about innovation and integration. You don't get the innovation unless you integrate web technology into the processes by which you run your business. Interesting quote. John Harrison, welcome. How are you today? Doing very well, thank you. Thanks for joining us. Talk to me about the Gerstner quote. How does it relate to our topic? Well, I think people forget that we're running a business and the processes in the business that you have to support. Uh, I've encountered many places where we'll we'll do some web, we'll uh, put some IoT in, and it's kind of an island. So to me, locking back to some of the quote, information David presented already, mm-hmm. you've got to use this information. You've got to include it in your processes. As an example of how not to do it, I was at a brewery pub uh, last night, and we go, okay, let's order some beer. Well, we didn't have a menu. You had to go online to find the, uh, what beers they had. But you couldn't order online. You still had to come back and talk to the waiter, and you had to provide your own device. That was a broken process as far as I was concerned. Ideally, I'd have been able to do it all from a provided device. So you've got to include the processes completely. And I find a lot of people forget that there are processes downstream that have to be supported as well. Very interesting. What what an interesting concept. Um, I'm trying to think of how that happened to me once. I went to a restaurant locally here. I'm on Long Island, New York, John, and they had a coupon they had sent me by email. I don't know, 10% off dinner of four, only for eat and not for takeout, blah, blah, blah. And I forgot to bring the coupon. I didn't print it out at home, so I said to the waitress, can I show it to you on my iPhone? She said, no, you have to print it out. I said, but I'm not going to leave and run two blocks home to get the coupon. We're ordering dinner. She said, okay, I'll, you're not going to believe this, guys. I'll bring you the email address of the manager who has a printer here in the back office at the restaurant. You can forward the email from us to you to the manager. And he will print it out, and then I'll attach it to your check, and you'll get the 10 Can you believe this? I'll get So I did. I forwarded the email to the manager. They printed it out in the back. They attached it to my check. We got the 10%. But a little later, friends of mine came into the restaurant, came over to say hello to me and my, my, friend, my other friends I was dining with. And I said to them, hey, did you bring your coupon? They said, no, we got the email. I said, write this down. Here's the email. <laughs> of the printer in the back office so you can use the coupon for dinner tonight. Can you, John Harrison, can you believe this in this day and age? Uh, Unfortunately, yes. I mean, paper is king still. Uh, I still have to deal with paper all the time. And no matter what, and this is a perfect example of process that 
weren't fully thought through, shall we say. Uh, they were trying. It works well on the web to advertise their products, but not well not execution buying the products. Absolutely right. I thought we were supposed to go paperless, especially when in terms of finances, the check world. I thought we were supposed to go paperless in 1999, but I digress. Another era, another millennium. Let's turn back to David Dunn at Rolta. Uh, David, I'm going to ask you a very key question. You're talking about chemicals. <laughs> What's it? I've never said that before. What's in your cup today? What are you drinking? Uh, no clues there. Or uh, what are you planning to drink after the show? David Dunn, talk to me. I am uh, actually have I, I brewed in a chemical process type of way. I brewed uh, some coffee or some tea. I uh, I've never been a coffee drinker, um, and for years and years I started my morning off with a soda and drank soda all day long. But age has caught up to me, and I can't drink that much soda anymore. So I've switched over to starting off with. Uh, uh, a hot tea, and in this case, it's uh, a green tea, and then I switch to water for the rest of the day. It sounds so healthy, I got it, especially getting away from soda. I was a two-bottle-of-Coca-Cola, two-bottle-a-day drinker. My mother used to have the soda man. Remember the the bakery man would come to the back door, and the milk man, and the soda man. We had deliveries at our house every week, and there was that case of Coca-Cola, and that was before we knew Everything about what was in Coca-Cola. So I grew up with grabbing two bottles of Coke while I was doing my homework every day. Who knew? Haven't touched the stuff in years talking about getting on in years. Thank you, David Dunn, for sharing. David Crookshank, what are you drinking right now, or what are you planning on drinking? Uh, Actually, a a nice, uh, cold, uh, crisp uh, glass of uh, Pellegrino, because I I can forego the sugar, but not the carbonation. So that's a nice little little pickup in the morning. Ah, interesting. What is it about that carbonation? Is that just the bubbles get you going? I suppose that's something to do with it. It's just it's just crisp and a little refreshing, and you know that that little slice of lime just uh, sends it right over the top. So <laughs> it's a, I like my, my that. go-to drink. I like that. We haven't heard anybody talk about anything carbonated on the show in a long time. So thank you very much for that. And let's turn to John Harrison. What are you drinking? Well, being a Brit, it's obviously very traditional tea. Uh, However, I put, what I really would like to drink is uh, gunpowder tea, and that's uh, either green tea or oolong tea roll, hand-rolled into small little balls. And the reason it's historically called gunpowder is because when the Britons went into the uh, China and looked at it, it said, it, oh, it looks like the gunpowder they used to load their cannons with. Consequently, it's gunpowder tea. So I like it for, both for the taste and the historical connotations of it. Interesting. I just Googled it. I think I warned the three of you that I've been known to do a spontaneous Google look up here and there. Gunpowder tea is a form of green Chinese tea produced in the Zhenjiang province of China in which each leaf has been rolled into a small round pellet. It is believed to take its English name from the fact that the tea resembles grains of black powder. This rolling method of shaping tea is most often applied to the dried green tea or oolong tea, and it dates back to, John, get this, the Tang Dynasty, 618 to 907, and introduced to Taiwan in the 19th century. There's the trivia you never wanted to know, and now you know it. I'm a traditionalist. Uh, well, I think you have a lot of rooting, grounding in tradition for there. Sure, absolutely. And by the way, those of you who don't know me, I'm only allowed to drink 
anything without caffeine on radio show days, and I think you've already figured out why. We're having a really interesting conversation here already on IoT, that's the Internet of Things, and chemicals. The chemical industry, very, very broad industry we just found out from David Dunn. Transform your business models now. Get with the program. Modernize, move up, integrate, innovate. We have a lot of topics on the table. My wonderful panel today is David Dunn at Rolta, David Cruikshank. We have two Davids at SAP Co. Innovation Lab and John Harrison at SAP Chemicals. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. You're listening to Coffee Break with Game Changers. We're going to take about a 60-second break right about now. And when we come back, David Dunn is going to help me launch our 30-minute nonstop roundtable. Got a lot of interesting topics to cover. So don't even think of touching that mouse that app, that dial, however you're listening to us. And a shout out to Dr. Stefan Gertzkin, who is listening on a conference line and has a whole bunch of his colleagues listening. And thank you for the tweets and the handles we're tweeting, seeing tweeting at hashtag SAP Radio or at SAP Industries and at SAP, the number four, the word chemicals. And we'd love to see more of you tweet. Remember, always include the hashtag SAP Radio. We'll be right back after the break. Justin out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Welcome back. We are talking about the Internet of Things and chemicals, which is a very broad topic. And the message to the chemicals industry, transform your business models now or dot, 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 I could say pay the consequences or fall behind any of the above. By the way, uh, SAP for chemicals, that's a handle with the numeral four in it, just tweeted how to order beer online while at a restaurant. Listen to hashtag SAP radio. Thank you very much. We are good for something here, at least. Appreciate that. David Dunn at Rolta. David, why don't you just uh, spend two or three sentences telling us what Rolta does, and then we'll start our roundtable. David? Very good. Um, so Rolta, at its core, is an engineering company um, with a lot of background, uh, 30 years plus in GIS, and um, also has uh, um, uh, specific integrated products or um, intellectual products. This group called uh, OneView, and it's a, a business analytics solution 
um, with specific modules that cross across the uh, organization, um, bringing data together right along the title or right along this topic, uh, bringing data from across the organization to provide uh, insights into your business. Thank you very much. Now we know a little bit more about what you do and where you come from, and let's start our roundtable. David, you sent me so many wonderful topics, but I think we're going to look at the manufacturing side of chemicals and talk about the move from supply chain. I'm just going to read a little bit from your notes here, and then you can expand it. You comment, for years, chemical companies have been focused on wringing cost out of the supply chain. Meanwhile, you add, there are large amounts of data sitting in historians, LIMS systems, and other systems that could be used in a predictive nature, improving maintenance, asset reliability, and quality to drive the real costs out of production. Can you unravel this for us, please, David? Sure, Dunn, go ahead. sure. Yeah, as, as I said, um, you know, or as you met, read, the, the chemical industry in general has, uh, since uh, for 20 years that I can remember, has been very focused on uh, supply chain, on reducing costs of, of raw materials, on, you know, the procurement strategies, on uh, bundling packages with suppliers to reduce overall costs, um, looking at transportation costs, and really the, the, the focus on manufacturing has always been around uh, implementation of, you know, systems, DCS, systems, digital control systems, and control systems to help the processing of products. Um, most of that data coming off systems is collected in some type of historians. Quality data is collected in limb systems. And it's really, um, you know, there's a, that's really where a lot of the big data within a chemical company sits. But there hasn't been a whole lot of move, in my experience, to try and utilize that data to improve asset reliability, to, to drive down maintenance costs, monitor maintenance costs, and improve um, overall asset effectiveness, uh, which is ultimately going to drive down the cost to produce. It's really about driving dollars per pound out the door. And I think that's going to be, it's starting to be recognized. There hasn't been a whole lot of progress uh, in general across the industry. There are definitely companies in the forefront, but I believe that is a wave of the future that um, is going to drop real dollars to the bottom line. Thank you very much. David Cruikshank, thoughts on what Mr. Dunn just shared with us? Well, I would agree with uh, with the with, with the thought shared, and I'd also probably like to add that you know, and getting back to what John was talking about, you know, the importance of of process. You know, I think that you know, optimization across an entire supply chain could absolutely be uh, impacted in a, in a meaningful way uh, with you know an array of sensor data, you know, and, and machine learning to to think that you know your raw materials can be smartened up to understand you know what uh, what your inventory levels look like and adjust on the fly, uh, you know. There are people that, that plan, uh, that are planners for supply chain, and 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 in, to to in, it sort of in, infuse a lot of new data, new uh, new information that uh, that can give them further insights into their business, and to become super planners to maybe get away from you know taking 50 to you know 100 different ad hoc decisions in order to 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 to, to move the supply chain forward uh, is um, uh, is is quite compelling, and I think that we're moving in that direction. And and uh, I, I was sort of thinking earlier about the uh, the the quote you found or the the information you pulled out about the the tea and the gunpowder, and wondering if there was ever a military supply chain officer that made the mistake of mixing the two up and maybe you know going forward that uh, you know having having the right data at the right time it, it would would certainly prevent uh, such a grievous error 
That's the Big Bang. Yes, thank you very much. <laughs> John Harrison, thoughts? Well, I mean, I mean, David Dunn alluded to the problem, and one of the problems is that these, the information is there spread over large numbers of systems. So bringing it all together is a major problem. Uh, IDC, a, a research firm, estimates 1% of data collected is analyzed. So, you know, we've got tremendous amount of uh, cap- uh, potential to analyze the data we already collect, let alone bringing more data to the table. But uh, my, my greatest fear is that there are going to be silos of information that aren't analyzed, aren't brought together in a holistic way, so that it's not going to support the total process. It's going to support parts of the process. Okay, thank you very much. Let's turn it back to David Dunn. Any thoughts on what your co-panelists have just shared on your topic, David Dunn? Yeah, I think I think John hit something there as well. There, the, the the fact is, more and more data is going to come at us, and so being able to really understand understand what the data is, what data we're getting, and turn it into information to to drive business processes. Is, is really key. That's what it's all about. We don't want to gather data just to gather data. And obviously there's a fear out there that, um, you know, a corporate mandate comes down. We, as, as John said in, in kind of opening statements, that a corporate mandate that we've got to start doing something. It can't be reactionary, I, I believe. I think it has to be planned. You've got to look at the challenges that are costing your organization the most and start driving improvements with the data at hand and there's plenty of data out there, then figure out where should we invest in more data collection to improve those processes further. Thank you very much. Gentlemen, I'm going to move in a slightly different direction. I know that David Cruikshank's passion and his profession revolves around the word co-innovation. We cover this on a lot of our shows. Uh, I was just curious about the origins of the chemical industry. David Cruikshank, just indulge me for a second here, please. So I Googled chemical industry, and of course, I came up with a wonderful Wikipedia page. And I don't know if anybody's aware or anybody cares, but one of the first chemicals to be produced in large amounts through the industrial process was fill in the blank. David Cruikshank, David Dunn, John Harrison. Does anybody know what one of the first mass-produced compounds was? Anybody want to take a guess? Not a... Okay, here we go. Sulfuric acid and the year was 1736. It was the pharmacist Joshua Ward. Interesting. A little before my time. A little bit, and all of ours, thank God. He it was involved in heating saltpeter and allowing the sulfur to oxidize and combine with water. The first practical production of sulfuric acid on a large scale. And the first factory was created in 1749. Very, very interesting. So this dates way back. So that's my point here, David Cruikshank. I want to talk about co-innovation, which is a very modern term for a an industry that goes way back in time. So here's, here's the topic I'd like you to start covering for us. You asked why. Why co-innovated IoT solutions matter? And you add, you answer it with these comments. The reality of high-tech and the innovation that underscores all of it, whether you're an end user or a skilled technology practitioner, your experience with it or its influence upon you always comes from more than a single tech product offered by a single tech company. So hence, co-innovation. How in the world can chemical companies co-innovate or are they already doing it and not even aware? David Cruikshank? 
They're probably doing it, but they may not always be aware. They may not have something you know, uh, specified uh, or expressed as co-innovation. Uh, certainly, we talk in terms of innovation. You know, co-innovation sort of cuts at this notion of, of recombinant innovation, you know, the idea that you can take a lot of the existing technologies and find novel ways of bringing them together and forming up new solutions uh, and, 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 and being able to derive some commercial success from this. You know, co-innovation projects among, you know, a lot of relevant partners can evolve and deliver tailored capabilities spanning, you know, the integration of multiple technologies which can collect, aggregate, analyze, report, visualize, you know, things like IoT sensor data and both real-time and historians. So you don't have to necessarily stream it and capture it in real-time. I think uh, uh, to David's uh, earlier point that, uh, you know, we can work with the, the data that we have today. It's captured, it's collected, you know, every day. We can start from there. But, you know, it's, it's bringing partners together to, you know, to lend, lend itself to capturing the expertise from collaborating firms, uh, which in the end accelerates how quickly a solution can be formed up to act on that data and to then draw real, uh, real-time insights and drive more informed decisions uh, for management from, uh, you know, from whether it's the customer, you know, uh, or operational or service data or, or all three. David, is there any fear of co-innovation in terms of sharing proprietary information if you're developing, I don't know, are there any new chemicals on the horizon? Any fear of that opportunity? Well, I think in a business context that, you know, when you when you start you know, talking about co-innovation, it's not just uh, you know a gentleman's handshake and everybody enters into a room and begins sharing ideas and, and acting upon them. There's there's some structure that's put around this. Uh, ideally, some sort of you know bilateral contractual arrangement that sort of sets the stage for how we understand and 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 and, and come to uh, act with our our, our uh, contributed background IP and and how we're going to uh, render and and consider the disposition of foreground. ID, the IP, the new, uh, the new ideas that, uh, that that come from, you know, collaboration and, and tacit knowledge exchange. But they, uh, you know, I, I think that a lot of people sort of believe, oh, you know, that person just put a PowerPoint slide up, and I've just seen their product roadmap, and that mm-hmm. person's going to run back and tell their uh, tell their uh, their company all about it. Well, it would take it, it probably took the company that that was able to create that slide, you know months if not years to to build the mental maps within their corporation to to actually be able to act on that information it would be the same for a competitor so you know just because mm-hmm. you you are you're exposed to something that might be considered uh, intellectual property of another doesn't necessarily mean you can act upon it and and you know, I prefer to just see how, how companies can come together and collaborate and build off of that and you know in the end maybe they share in the spoils of that collaborative effort Good, good point of view and good mindset, and if only people would play well in the sandbox, as I call it. Thank you. John Harrison, thoughts on co-innovation in terms of the chemical industry? What do you observe? Well, What's your POV? I believe the chemical industry has been doing it for years. It's just mm-hmm. recently they've hit the technology space. We've had engineers, chemists, customers looking to support the customer's business process. On the idea of the intellectual property, uh, I think there are two parts of that. One, obviously, is the true uh, value of the IP that is being developed. But then I was talking with Dow Chemical a number of years ago and said, why are you exposing how you work the Internet in your processes? And they said, because they believe that they can execute the business process better than anybody else in the world. And anybody who could take their information is going to be light years behind them anyway. 
So, you know, the first mover advantage on some of this co-innovation, uh, back to David's point, just because you know it's possible doesn't mean you can actually do it. So, you know, the competitive situation is very flexible in some of these co-innovation processes. Interesting. David Dunn, thoughts on co-innovation? Yeah, I, I agree with John. I think the industry has been doing it for years. The, the chemical industry is an extremely complex industry in that um, companies buy from other buy raw materials from other chemical companies. They sell to chemical companies, and they also utilize uh, you know other other chemical companies within the industry or within their segments to to do what's typically called tool manufacturing or custom manufacturing, depending upon which side you're on. But if you don't have the right equipment or, or don't have the capacity, instead of expansion or capital outlay, uh, you partner with a company that's able to produce that product for you. So I, I think the concept of innovation has been there for a, a long time. Um, and as John mentioned, also innovating with customers, um, that's a, a great way to uh, develop a product that meets a specific application that you know you're dialed into. So I, I think it's it's been there for a long time, um, and as John said, we're just kind of hitting the IT side of that. Interesting. David Cruikshank, you want to wrap up this topic for us since this is your bailiwick? And by the way, you and I are going to have a conversation soon about the possibility of an SAP Game Changers radio series about co-innovation, which is a huge topic. That's a little spoiler for our audience. So go ahead, David. Anything you want to wrap up on this? Yeah, the the the. the the comments are, are spot on, and they uh, and they complement uh, you know what we're talking about with respect to conovation. And it's uh, you know you you want to bring people together to 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 take advantage of all these uh, you know strengths that that come from outside of an organization. You know it's why it's why you reach out to conovate in the first place. You want to extend your reach into new markets. You want to reach new customers. Uh, you have your own core competencies uh, w- you know within your firm, but you know you can take advantage of of these relationships uh, that uh, uh, that are both upstream and downstream uh, to an organization to uh, to to create that that larger value proposition for customers. So. So, you know, it's uh, it, it's probably the, uh, the the way forward for many companies. We 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 maybe not can never all expect to build a walled garden to rely exclusively on what for years was was considered closed innovation. You know, just hey, we're insular. We just figure out things that are going on inside. And companies that have a a, a legacy or a history of this, they oftentimes struggle a little bit in trying to embrace concepts of open innovation and co-innovation simply because it, they get that case of uh, not invented here. You know, it's a mentality that that, that gets entrenched mm-hmm. and embedded within a company culture. But you know, I see more and more evidence of, 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 of companies starting to organize around their ability to uh, extract and harvest ideas from the outside to, you know, to, to get that, uh, uh, that network effect uh, moving. And that's, like I said in the, uh, uh, earlier in the program, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of the era of the cloud and, 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 and all things digital uh, that's going to depend uh, more and more on that uh, rich collaboration. Thank you very much. Rich collaboration. I think that that's the goal, isn't it? It's to have a good good group of people with the right mindset coming from different areas. If you will, perhaps I'm, I'm even referencing design thinking here, bringing in people from dis- different disciplines, even within the same industry, to share ideas and come up with something better than anybody could have done on their own. Thank you very much, David Cruikshank. Guess what? I'm looking at my notes from John Harrison. John, I don't think we've talked about 
government regulations yet. I think it needs to be said because we're talking about chemicals. So bear with me here for a second while I read something from your notes and then you can run with it. You say regulations will increase the need for IoT connectivity and data gathering. That's an interesting comment. And you say here, in response to things like pipeline leaks and spills, the government will insist on additional data proof of compliance. This can be done by worker inspections, but the data will most likely be gathered and monitored by IoT. Let me stop there. John Harrison, why don't you take us through this, please? Well, I mean, as much as we like to rile at the government, they, they do have a very strong place in regulating uh, safety processes, things of that nature. And chemicals, by definition, is a hazardous in industry, and so there's a tremendous amount of regulations associated with it. Uh, as safe as the chemical industry is, there's always going to be accidents, and the reaction to most governments to an accident, think of what's going to happen with the Chinese government and that explosion in China, will be more regulations, more information required, more data to prove that you are following what you are supposed to be doing. So it's a big data collection problem. Uh, I mean, if you're looking at a pipeline, how do you gather information for miles and miles of pipeline? Maybe mm -hmm. you'd use a drone to fly over it, taking uh, soundings and looking for spills and leaks, etc. Or is it the fact that you're going to be monitoring pressures and if a pressure drop, that would be collected and somebody be notified? It's going to, to you're going to end up having to provide massive amounts of proof that you did the right thing when something goes wrong. And let's face it, man-made systems will break at some point, unfortunately. And you've got to be able to, to address those problems. Okay. David Dunn, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I agree with John. Regulations are, are just going to continue to, to worsen as as we as we move further into the, you know, down down the timeline. You know, if you look at uh, the, the REACH rules that came out and have been coming out over the past handful of years and, and what's required, you know, the data, the data flows all from, from really the beginning of the raw materials all the way through the process to the end use and all the information uh, about the toxicities and all, everything that has, to be, that has to be pushed to the final end user is, is really overwhelming. Um, and, and that's just the start. You know, it's, it's going to continue to get harder and harder to, to bring new products on that may have solvents instead of water, or, you know, it's just going to continue to increase. So to be, able to, be, to be able to really, you know, have all the data on your raw materials, on the chemistries that are developed and, and uh, they're turned into, as well as application use and, and toxicity data, the, the requirements are going to get more and more stringent, and we're going to have to, you know, as an industry, evolve. Um, I mean, every day, if you watch any of the industry news, we're, there's constant uh, new regulations coming out around toxic, you know, the toxic chemicals and hazardous chemicals, um, emissions, water emissions, air emissions. So, you know, that's all going to create more and more data collection that has to be dealt with. Mm -hmm. David Cruikshank, thoughts? 
Regulation? Well, I think that, yeah, in the, in the uh, with respect to Internet of Things and sensor data, I think that this can only enrich, you know, the understanding of those that are responsible for, you know, uh, cr- crafting, implementing, and, and, and managing uh, government regulations for any industry. And I, I think we need to get to a point by taking advantage of all the sensor data, you know, to get beyond, you know, just being able to predict whether there's something uh, bad that's about to happen or, or, or destined to happen, but, you know, can we prescribe? You know, can we can we do more prescriptive analytics and be able to take action on that data that comes from those sensors? You know, from 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 machine learning and having you know smart machines and smart assets in the field. I mean, it's one thing to to fly a drone over and to you know use a, an infrared camera to detect whether there's you know some sort of uh, leaks. You know, that's important. We want that so that we can you know maybe take uh, take action before you know I experience ex- excessive downtime. But you know, if we're going to get after prescriptive maintenance, you know, we've got to be doing this conscious monitoring with the right sorts of agents. We want to do it in a way that we're not going to trigger false positives because there's lots of opportunities for that to happen, uh, even with the best of intentions, with, with trying to create signatures for what we think is bad uh, that can happen, and then be able to transfer all those behaviors that are important and valuable off to the other assets uh, to give us that more holistic approach uh, to, you know, uh, taking advantage of, uh, of analytics uh, in the chemical industry as well as others. Thank you very much. Gentlemen, I, we promised in the opening of the show the title of this episode is Chemicals, Chemical Industry, Transform Your Business Models Now. And I said there's urgency, and my buzzword for the day was hurry, get on board, do it now. Let's talk a little bit about the new technologies, the new opportunities. Let's fast forward to the future, which we all know is already here right this very second. So, John Harrison, I'm again looking at your notes. I'm going to toss out a couple of ideas, if you'd briefly address them, and then we'll go around the table. Number one, new technology like 3D printing, and John says he can see chemical companies providing the chemicals, which are the media, to companies and potentially consumers for printing. It's a potential new business model. He also talks about chemicals as a service. So, John Harrison, why don't you briefly take us through either or both, and then we'll bring David C. and David D. in, and let's have fun with this. So go ahead, John. Okay, I mean, new technologies is a fun thing. Everybody keeps asking me, well, why doesn't chemicals do X, Y, Z? I mean, You've probably heard of Google Glasses. Great new technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, put it on a maintenance worker. They can see things. What happens if they trip over something? You know, where's the liability when it was, uh, the, the vision was obscured? So in the chemical space, there is, you know, they're definitely looking at the new technologies. They definitely want to use them. But chemicals has additional tolerances, safety regulations, embedded uh, intrinsically safe devices and things like that. And it tends, the technology tends to lag what uh, the consumers are looking at. So things like 3D printing, great concept. I can see people going out and, oh, I need a new part, download the, the technical spec, print it out. That's the dream. Unfortunately, right now, 3D technology, the printers require a flat level and clean environment. That doesn't describe any chemical facility that I've ever been in. So, you know, (laughs) the technology catches up. You know, wearable computing, great stuff. Um, But then we start getting into the human response to some of this stuff. You know, will somebody allow you to have a wearable device on that potentially can invade the privacy and you'd use them for tracking purposes, et cetera, et cetera? I mean, there are customers... Uh, people out there that says if you wear a Fitbit, we can get you a discount on your insurance. Is that mm-hmm. good enough to to do? I don't know. I personally 
one of these privacy freaks who turns everything off and doesn't allow anything to pass my firewalls, so I don't give my data away for free. So there's an awful lot of information associated with this new technology. I mean, drones is a classic one. Everybody says, well, you can fly the drone. Great. Government regulations, again, says, you know, only can do it if you can see the drone. Well, that makes it a very limited use right now. Nothing wrong with the technology. The regulations around it are causing problems. So, yeah. Interesting. Uh, adoption of technology, at least in the chemical space, will be a little slower than most people hope. And, and John, just address chemicals as a service before I bring in our other two panelists, oh. please. What, what's your thought on that? Well, Traditionally, chemical companies have just sold tons of product, and it works, and you apply large amounts of it to whatever you, you're dealing with. But when you start looking at chemicals as a service, you start saying, all right, maybe I can guarantee the performance of my product. You put a certain amount on it. There's uh, In uh, BASF, they have a, a blog area where the approaching new ideas, they're actually talking about things like leasing chemicals or leasing the performance of a chemical. So, you know, as, as it's applied, you guarantee that that application will last for X number of years and you pay a, a, a yearly fee for that chemical use. Uh, the, uh, the UN Intellectual Development Organization 10 years ago put forward a global chemical leasing program where they because they're being paid for use, you can see up to things like a 90% reduction in the actual quantities of chemicals being applied to various things. So it becomes more of a precision application of the chemicals, more precise definition of the chemicals for the use that you're dealing with. It's a, it's a bit of a mind changer. I would think so. David Dunn, want to get you in on this party. What do you think about all this innovation? Is the future here now in chemicals? Your thoughts on chemicals as a service, 3D printing, any other examples you'd like to share? David Dunn? Yeah, so um, actually it's interesting. Uh, I, I was having a discussion with a couple friends uh, over the weekend about 3D printing and some of the uh, things that are able to go we're able to do. And there's actually uh, some scientists from University of uh, Illinois at Champaign that uh, have looked in and are, are experimenting with 3D, 3D printing that are, that's able to synthesize molecules from scratch. So it's futuristic, but there are people doing it. And you can go on Google and look up you know, 3D printing in the chemi chemical industry, and you can find... Uh, what, what some of the researchers out there are trying to accomplish. And I, I think it's fascinating, um, you know, having come from a plant for most of my life and thinking in traditional terms of you got raw materials, you put it together, and, and you, you make a product to, to think that it can be done. Now, obviously, that, that may be more practical from um, a, a test case as opposed to trying to build a plant to make a product where you're not even sure it's going to be uh, effective. But um, the future, kind of the future is now on that. Um, John mentioned, too, as, a, as, you know, chemicals as a service. I think in the industry, uh, especially in the specialty chemical industry and pharma, um, you, you, a lot of companies all have, have, you know, service involved, um, you know, technical services, application services, testing services. Um, but most companies I know don't really charge. It's just part of part of the you know the the cost of doing business from their standpoint and part of the offering. 
And I do think there are, I've, I've talked to companies that are looking at how we bundle and, as John said, sell this as a package. So maybe mm-hmm. it's a gain-sharing package or, you know, we, we, um, uh, we'll supply this and you can use our chemical at a certain PPM um, and we'll guarantee that rate. And if you, you know, if it goes off of that, um, we'll, t- we'll eat the profit. If, if we can do it, treat it, uh, or use less uh, parts per million of the compound, um, we can, you know, we, we get the gain, but ultimately there's a gain sharing. So I think the business models will evolve. And I think, um, you know, I think traditionally social media is, is, has been for larger companies trying to manage brand, um, it's been a way to to really track and help manage brand and and see what the industry is or what what the consumers are thinking, but I think ultimately social media and those type of things will play a bigger part in trying to attract customers, communicate with customers, and hold on to them in more of a business sense than a social and um, you know uh, the, the the broader you know Facebook kind of thing. Okay, thank you very much, David Crookshank. Thoughts. Well, I also think it's fascinating. I mean, the notion that a that a chemical uh, customer could not just order ten thousand cans of solvent, but what if I can license and download the algorithms that let me arrange the molecules with my own contractor uh, services and and suppliers uh, to uh, to to create the product for me. I think that's, uh, that's very interesting. You know, it's, uh, uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see where, where 3D printing goes in the, in the future. You know, I, for one, would love nothing more than to travel without a suitcase, arrive at my hotel, and, and download my clothes for the evening. In fact, I'd like to license that Hugo Boss suit and wear it just for the <laughs> evening. And I guess as long as I get home by midnight, you know, before I turn back into a pumpkin, I'm in good shape. Cinderella. That's, uh, that's, that, that's the future of everything as a service. Uh, no, no question. Very, very interesting. Yes, Cinder. What's the male version of Cinderella? Cinderella. Cinderella? C- cinder, just cinder. Just I don't cinder block. Yeah, I want to say no. That's that's not fair. I didn't say that, and you didn't repeat it. We have to play nicer. <laughs> Guess what, my esteemed panelists? Wonderful conversation, but it's time for us to. I warned you about this part of the show. Slide into home plate here now. So I'm going to ask David Dunn to do the honors. Let's talk about our crystal ball predictions round. We've been talking, I think, already about the future. It's here now in many, many ways for the chemicals industry. But let's really fast forward to the future and let's get your predictions. So David done. I'm going to give you 90 seconds. I love the year 2020. You may, you may not. You want to predict for the next 10 minutes, the next 10 weeks, the next 10 years. I'll leave it up to you. So let's just say, David Dunn, time to peer into the crystal ball. What will be different at the time in the future you choose? What will be different about this conversation if we met again on IoT and chemicals? David Dunn, go. Well, again, I think... uh... Maybe to your point, we let a little bit of the cat out of the bag on that last round. But um, I, I do think in in five ten years, you know, we're going to see we're going to see companies transition to driving costs down through um, manufacturing. I think at, at some point in the next five years, companies are going to realize there's a lot of money to be had there. Um, then further out. Uh, again, I, I think through this, through 3D printing, um, through drones to to operate and and survey the perimeters of the uh, you know of the plant, and to look at pipelines and look at piping. I think these are all things that are going to develop. And while while right now we we look at it and say oh it's you know it's pretty future futuristic, 
the price of a drone is, you know, $1,500. I just read this week. Um, and, you know, companies are going to embrace this technology. And I think in 10 years we're going to sit back and go, wow, that, that really wasn't that big of a deal to, to, to do 3D printing. While it's absolutely foreign and, and hard concept to grasp that we can make a chemical through 3D printing, uh, in 10 years we'd be sitting here going, wow, that was really nothing. What's next? And, and I think it, we're just going to, there's so many innovative people out in the world. They're, they're just going to keep developing new ways to do business, new ways to get closer to customers, new ways to innovate. And I think, uh, you know, it's going to be fascinating to watch. Thank you very much. David Cruikshank, were you the one who was just uh, fantasizing about having that Hugo Boss suit rented to you for, for one night? Were you the one? Oh, yes, that was me. I, I think drones. I think the drone can drop it at your hotel. You can hang it out the window or in the hallway, and the drone will come pick it up or on the roof, the heliport, the drone port, pick it up, and the drone will return it for you. No harm, no foul. What do you think? I think you're onto something, although I was thinking I could just wash it off in the shower when I got home. So, oh, I don't uh, think so. I don't think so. I don't think there are any chemicals that are going to fix that one up and make it like brand new, but you never know. David, I'm going to give you 90 seconds quickly for your predictions. Go ahead, David Cruikshank. Well, you know, as, uh, as Yoda once said, the future is difficult to see because it's always in motion. So it's always dangerous to, to, to make these predictions, uh, only to find out that, uh, that it was a ridiculous statement to make. But I, I say looking out on the co-innovation event horizon, that probably one of the next big things that, that will start to emerge is, is that around applying more high-level mathematics and, and artificial intelligence. Uh, and I can particularly see it happening uh, in the realm of supply chain uh, that, will, that will impact a variety of different industries and, and, and businesses. You know, this idea that, you know, leveraging machine learning to make machines smarter, to be able to have machines take decisions uh, at, at, a, at a point in time where we rely on, you know, ad hoc decision making and spending hours laboring over drudgery work, looking at millions of Excel pages and, and you know, and multiple screens from different software uh, applications. Mm-hmm. I, I think that this is going to thin itself out and, and we'll let machines, uh, you know, make some more of those. Uh, uh, decisions on behalf of humans. So this this is going to change much of uh, uh, of, of of how business uh, perceives itself and how it uh, how it gets things done. Thank you very much, John Harrison. I saved ninety seconds for you for predictions. Go ahead, John. Well, I mean, I agree with everything that's said, but I think in you know ten years' time, what we they've said is going to be old hat. I think having this discussion in ten, fifteen years' time, we'll be talking about moving manufacturing. To outer space. And currently, the University of Glasgow has uh, 3D printing of chemical nano facilities for extraterrestrial manufacturing. I'm thinking, well, that's going to change the game. If we're going to move our dangerous products manufacturing to outer space, what we'll be thinking in 15 years' time? I don't know, but that's where I think the discussion's going to go. We're going to have all our problems. We're going to move it off Earth. How's that for a way out there one? That is way, literally, figuratively, and predictively way out there. We have time for one, a one-sentence comment from your co-panelists on that. David Dunn, agree, disagree with John Harris's prediction? No, I, I agree. I mean, there's, there's so much going on um, and so much innovation. I've seen some of, that, uh, some of, the, some of the comments around that work. And I, I think, in, as he said, in 10 to 15 years, We'll be absolutely amazed at what's been accomplished. It'll be old hat, and there's going to be new frontiers in every way uh, that that are approached. 
Thank you very much. I have to do a shout out to my three panelists. You've been wonderful to speak with David Dunn at Rolta, David Cruikshank at SAP Co-Innovation Lab, John Harrison at SAP for Chemicals. And we have to do a big thank you to my colleague at SAP, Dr. Stefan Gertzgen. If you're looking him up, it's G-U-E-R-T-Z-G-E-N. And he has been tweeting along with SAP for Chemicals and SAP Industries. And thank you so much, Stefan, for bringing us this topic and bringing us this wonderful panel. We've been talking about IoT and chemicals. Transform your business models now, and I think you will have some good ideas. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Grateful to be here on Coffee Break with Game Changers. I'll see you tomorrow on a new edition live at 10 a.m. Eastern of the Future of Business with Game Changers. Thank you also to Justin and the Business Channel team at Real Talk Radio. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Hurry, hurry. Go out and be a game changer today. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.